there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O oh, righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Psalm 7 in the ESV. Thank you, Grant. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Balm and Gilead. Uh, yes, hello. Hello, I am Brian. This is Grant. And I am Grant, yeah. yeah. I can... See Grant, this is our second week of actually like looking at each other through the FaceTime camera while we record. I think I think last time we did that it actually turned out to be a, a much better uh easier to follow recording because I think it we're actually having a conversation and you're not staring at my ceiling. Right. Uh it helps too because now when you give me, you know, the look, I know Grant, you're going the wrong way. And uh so I appreciate that anyway. And Grant can also tell the difference between me pausing for him to talk and when I just need a swig of water. So those are <laughs> uh, those those have been some some pretty good adjustments. Uh, I I got a 
some some birthday Christmas presents that have helped make my setup a little nicer. And uh, so that's been nice. Um, Happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. Happy whenever yeah. your birthday is. Uh, sometime in July. Sometime it's not July. for a while. Okay. Good to know. Mark that one down. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so what do we got for an icebreaker today? Our icebreaker today is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more like a, an, an intro, uh, uh, kind of a long rabbit trail into the main topic. Um, want to talk a little bit about uh, Bible translations and um, just some specific examples of some direct word-for-word translations that kind of sound funny in today's uh, English, but that actually can serve a real purpose that other that other types of translation don't really do. Um, if you followed the lightest form of flogging in their uh, Bible translation talk, this is nothing like it. <laughs> I just why is that, Brian? They already covered it. Right? They already they already covered it. So I'm not. You know. Yeah. Go listen to the lightest form of flogging. Um, episode whatever it was whatever it we'll was. put it in the show notes probably if we remember to we'll remember yeah anyway anyway um so grant i would like to invite you to pull up the bible hub link to the song of solomon 5 4 and i just want you to read that boldly from the king james version boldly it is my beloved put his hand in by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. Um, all right. That's a little strange. It is a little strange. That's one of my favorite verses in the King James version. Is um, that the verse you give for whenever, but somebody asks you for your favorite verse. It's one that you put on a mug. You give it to someone, put it on, put it on a mug. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, that verse is a direct word for word translation from the from the uh, the Hebrew into English and in ancient Hebrew that word bowels is what they used to talk about emotion like straight up emotion uh it was kind of like the innermost being um you know I love you with my with all that is within me um it's the bowels and so you will read that same verse in the ESV. I got that right here. My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled with in me. Right. And that, well, that makes a little more sense. That sounds a little bit, a little bit more like they're not pooping. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so my, my bowels were moved within me is it means something different in today's English. It just it, it doesn't carry the same weight that Solomon intended, and um, and so I, I wanted to point that out because sometimes direct translations need to be compared to other translations to fully understand them. Uh, but also um, the same translation, or the 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 KJV. If you read Psalm one nineteen verse eleven, you you get something a little different. It says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against uh, thee. Yeah, so they, he, he wasn't afraid to say heart in that particular yeah. verse. And the ESV. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yeah, so same thing, heart. Um, 
and so that is something that um, it's it's interesting that in the Song of Solomon it says bowels, and in Psalm one nineteen it says heart. The reason why is because the the words are different. They're different Hebrew words. One uh, for the word for bowels is what they meant for uh, for emotional romantic love. Uh, if I in, in English, I would say, you know, I love you with all my heart or my heart was thrilled within me. And that is the same meaning, the idiom translated from the Hebrew into the, into the English. You would, you wouldn't say my bowels were, were moved. You would say my heart was thrilled and it means the same thing. Um, but I've hidden your So it's like in, the seat of the emotions yeah, kind of thing. Like, yeah, the seat I mean, of the emotions. I remember the whole Mark Lowry. Oh yeah. I love you with both my kidneys. Yes. I'm glad you caught up on that reference. Oh yes, that is that's actually honestly where I first learned about all of this. Me uh, too. <laughs> so thank you, Mark. We appreciate your humor, and we know you're listening. We know you're we know you're listening, and if you are not familiar with this particular open heart surgery uh, stand up <laughs> bit, we will look for it and try to put it in the show notes. As oh well. man, okay, because right. that I just yeah. I couldn't tell you how many times I listened to that, just laughed and laughed and laughed. Somewhere out there, guys telling his girl in some other language, I love you <laughs> with both my kidneys. <laughs> Still funny. Still yeah, funny. You make my liver quiver. <laughs> um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, and so it, it's important to understand that, that in Psalm 119, he's not talking about romantic, uh, romantic love. He's talking about something else. And so the question is, what is he talking about? Um, do I store in my heart, um, you know, if, if I were to store something in my heart to keep for later, to help me to, uh, to keep from sinning, I'm probably storing that first in my memory. And also I am storing it just, it's more than just a memorization, but it starts there. I first, I memorize it and then I apply it. And so it is language of devotion. It's I'm devoting it to memory in order that I may also devote it to obedience. And so there so, is, go ahead. Oh no, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I'm, I'm wondering too, if this maybe where you're going mm -hmm. with all this, but I'm uh, looking up the word that's used there in the Psalm 119, 11 mm -hmm. is the Hebrew word leb which I could be mispronouncing that. And apparently um, it, it, it is also translated as mind mm -hmm. or midst or understanding or hearted or wisdom, uh, which uh, in, in addition to heart. So right. um, there's also, there's almost like a uh, kind of a thinking component to this yeah. kind of heart that uh, is not obviously present when I'm talking about my wife. Right, yeah, and so if you think about that verse, you know, I've hidden it in my heart, it means I've memorized it. You know, if you think of it, I your word I have memorized that I might not sin against you. That makes more sense than than just you know your word I adore it. Though there's also that component. There's also I delight in it. Uh, you know, there is it, it is a much more encompassing word than just than just the bowels. Um, and that is important because when we get into our main topic, 
we are going to jump to Deuteronomy 6. And, um, and in Deuteronomy 6, I believe it's this, that same Hebrew word. I could be wrong on that because I don't actually speak Hebrew. But um, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, it uses, if you read that in the King James Version. Yep. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Right. And so in there he is talking about heart. Now, there's actually a really good series of videos uh, put out by the Bible Project on this particular passage, on um, it's a, like Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5, and following uh, on the Shema, uh, where he, they talk about very specific words, and they go into what they are. Like uh, verse 4 starts with the word hear, which is the Hebrew word Shema, and it talks about that it's not just listen. It is hearing with the intent to obey. And, uh, and so they go into a lot of these different words and they talk about what they mean. Um, and it talks about heart as well. And it talks about that mind component. Um, and the reason I want to bring this up is because in Mark 12 verse 30, we get a very familiar story in the new Testament where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And specifically in the Mark 12 passage his answer is and thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength this is the first commandment and that's important because jesus didn't just make up a fourth word when it goes from Deuteronomy 6 to Mark 12, Jesus didn't just all of a sudden decide, I'm also going to throw mind into the mix. I am going to translate from the ancient Hebrew into our current language. Um, and I know that the language had changed. I know that the common language was Greek. Uh, I know that Hebrew was still spoken. Aramaic was also spoken, uh, depending on who you're talking to, to determine what language you were saying but this particular quote was was scribed in greek and so um when jesus was interpreting deuteronomy 6 5 as it was recorded in the greek there's a fourth word added and it's important to understand where it came from and that is the translation the the word in hebrew meant something a lot more complicated and more complex than this than the words could say in Greek and even in English. And uh, okay, yeah, is that where kind of that word "leb" then, where it means both heart and mind? Yeah, that's and that's how I interpret it. That's how I understand it. Yeah, so "leb" means heart, and it also means mind. And so that's where we get heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is a mental aspect. There's also a heart aspect, which is more than just love it's more than just an emotion but it includes a love and an emotion um it also includes this idea of fully devoted um and so that's it's important to understand all that and that's why picking one uh translation and sticking with that one only it is not really a great idea because one language changes and so we need to you know make sure that we're reading one that actually matches the language that we're 
reading, but also because we, I don't speak Hebrew, I don't speak Greek, and so I can't go to the original manuscripts or the manuscripts that we have and, uh, and decipher that for myself. I, I rely on the work of the translators. But, you know, there's different translations for a reason because they were trying to highlight different things. That makes sense. I was just scrolling down here, noting that uh, Bible Hub also has kind of like the words and then um, like the lemmas all listed here for you. So they have cardios, which where we get our word cardiac from, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Uh, and it's uh, prolonged from the uh, from a uh, okay the heart. Uh, i.e. the thoughts or feelings, also the middle. Um, so kind of, uh, I'm taking it from what you're saying, it's not just the inner thoughts and feelings. It's all. It's also that, like when we say the heart of the matter, right. we mean the very center of it, right? Yeah. And so is that kind of what this passage here gets at? And I that's do believe so. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, it's so one of the things I wanted to to talk about in this kind of introduction to the to the main topic, uh, because what we are talking about today is how worship is holistic, how it includes every aspect of our created beings, and so the heart of that matter, as you said, like the middle of it, you know, it's it is all encompassing, and uh, and I think that that word heart really, really. Um, explains that it's more than just one thing or another. It is is every part of us. And so when Jesus says, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, those are really just four incredibly broad categories that overlap, intermingle, but also when he says this, we need to assume if there's any part that doesn't fall into one of those four, it should also be included. Um, it is a completely holistic list, uh, explaining our thoughts, our deeds, our attitudes, our devotions, all of that wrapped up into one. We love the Lord with everything that we possibly can in every way that we possibly can. And, uh, our whole self, our whole self. And, uh, and so that's, that's what Jesus was getting at. And, uh, so that's kind of, I kind of wanted to go that fun rabbit trail roundabout way of, of getting here. But that is where we are going into our, our main topic. It's probably the fastest we've ever gotten to our main topic. Other than, <laughs> the, other than the time that we uh, split the episode and started with the main topic. But that was also probably the longest it ever took us to get to our main topic. So, you know, there's that. Hey, you know, Records, right? Averages. Records. I think we're just getting better at podcasting. I yeah, I I would yeah, I would definitely agree with that one. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy six. I'm going to start in verse four, and I'm going to read uh, through verse nine. Uh, this is an incredibly important passage. Um, as I, as I said to you earlier, it is very near and dear to my left arm, where it is tattooed. And, um, at least verse four is, uh, good Jews will pray this at least twice every day, uh, once in the morning and once at night, I think sometimes in the middle of the day, but, um, I could be getting that mixed up. 
I'm not a good Jew, so I don't I don't know. But this is a passage very specifically about training your children uh, in the way. And uh, so that's why this is a very near and dear passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, some very strange things saying, uh, you know, bind them on your hand, tie them between your eyes, write them on your doorposts. I think it's very safe to say, and I believe this is pretty wildly, widely accepted, that what he is saying is when you bind them on your hand, that means that you're doing them. When you wear them between your eyes, it means that you're thinking about them. If you bind them on your, uh, your doorpost, you are guarding your house with it. When you put them on your gates, you are binding your city to them. And so this is a not like he didn't want them to just wear them on their eyes. Like I, I do think that God gives us very physical things to do to remind us of something. But the point was be thinking about it constantly, be doing it constantly, define your family by it, define your community by it. Um, know the word of the Lord, heed the word of the Lord, follow the word of your, of the Lord, love the Lord, your God. So this is very, very holistic, um, passage. And, uh, and I think this really is where we get the, the, the heart of worship, uh, the heart of that matter. Um, would our, you say you're coming back to the heart of worship? I, I knew that was coming. I set myself up for that one. I was trying to get to the heart of the matter thing that you're talking about. And then instead I went to the Matt Redman, uh, but even then leave it to me for the snarky comment. Yes. I mean, even then, like that's the story behind that song was they had their church had gotten to the point where they were just doing it for the show and they were all broken by it. They, they, they were, they met that, um, you know, they, they felt convicted of the sin of just worshiping the worship. And they, uh, went for a while where they didn't sing at all. And then they slowly worked it back in. That's where that song came from, where they realized mm -hmm. they weren't loving the Lord with everything. They were doing it wrong and they needed to get back to the heart of worship, which is, it's all about God. And, um, and that is, that is where it starts here. Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That is the beginning of it. That is, that is the crux. That is the heart of it is we need to understand who the Lord is and what he has done for us. The rest of the passage in this chapter talks about, uh, in broad sense, grace and mercy, how God saved us out of Egypt, how God has given us cities we didn't build. Uh, he just gave us, you know, these things. And this is before, this is actually before they uh, crossed the Jordan and, and took these things. They'd already counted them as theirs. And so it's the, the good things that God has done for us, where what he has rescued us out of. And ultimately for us, our sin and our bondage to, to sin and what he is going to give to us and has already, you know, declared is ours, which is, you know, eternal life with Christ in heaven. And so this passage is entirely, 
you know, it's, it is entirely holistic and it is entirely applicable to us today in such a beautiful way that we can see in hindsight. Um, one of my favorite passages, as I said, near and dear to my left arm, which I bound to my arm permanently so that when my kids see my tattoo and they ask, you know, why did you do that? I can say, because the Lord has rescued me out of my bondage and he has given me a home for eternity that I did not build. And so, yeah, that's, probably went on a little long about that one but uh i like that passage it's a good one yeah um what strikes me about that story though about the story you shared Mm -hmm. about the coming back to the heart of the worship the sonic flood song or well matt redmond yeah matt redmond was that the response to realizing that worship their were their their might we say so-called worship mm-hmm. was to completely ignore the command of to sing all together rather than um maybe lean back on hey maybe we should just sing some song psalms a cappella or maybe we should even just um it, it, you know may or 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 at least come to some sort of simplified um, singing part of the worship service. Uh, dig deeper into the regulative principle, say, in order to come back to the heart of worship. And so when I hear that story, I'm almost struck by like, uh, they part way. And yet, looking at the second commandment, they were not able to then put the pieces together to come all the way over to, well, maybe we're actually doing worship completely wrong. And uh, I mean, like, I've heard that story before, too, and I've never looked at it like this before. But I do wonder, and, and I'm not familiar with, the actual church that this happened at or anything like that. But I do wonder how the service could have been revitalized by something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll echo that the, the last time I really gave serious thought to this particular narrative, it's been, it's been a while and uh, that was pre cage stage. So, uh, mm-hmm. So my philosophies have changed. But what I hear you saying is that you don't think that they should have gone full Zwingli? <laughs> Probably not. Maybe a little more Calvin than Zwingli. Maybe so. Yeah. So for those of you who, who don't understand the Reformation joke we just made, uh, <laughs> uh, Ulrich Zwingli was one of the three main reformers and he was I guess by legend he took an axe to his pipe organ I don't know if that really happened but um, yeah he was known for cutting music completely out of the service Uh, whereas Calvin uh, kept the psalms singing the psalms in unison uh, and Luther did whatever he felt like doing well he was normative principle anyway which I was listening to a podcast today on the regulative principle where they mentioned that the normative principle of, of worship only came into use in like the 1980s, hmm. which is weird to me. 
Anyway. Right. So that was one that... I mean... Yeah. Not that it didn't exist. Obviously, it, just wasn't it did. termed. Yeah. Interesting. I had no idea about that. All right. Well, um, let's... <laughs> Gonna move so on to that, yeah. So with that, let's, <laughs> let's go into uh, into uh, Mark twelve. It says uh, in one of yeah. the scribes, and so one of the one of the guys who it was their job to copy the scripture to make sure that it did not decay and that they always had uh, up to date copies that weren't tarnished by by wear. Um, one of the scribes came up and uh and heard let's see and heard the dispute Verse 28 yeah i'm trying to yep. remember all the background to it while i'm reading it um let's see i'm just paying taxes to caesar let's see i'm just going up to the beginning of the chapter parable of the yeah. tenants parable of the tenants that was one of my favorite ones where jesus tells a parable and then it says and uh they were pretty sure that he was talking about them so they were afraid yeah uh paying taxes to caesar everyone's trying to like trip jesus up the uh, sadducees ask about the resurrection so jesus is giving these incredibly wise answers to these very difficult questions and it says and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well asked which commandment is the most important of all jesus answered the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so uh, so we get that. And uh, other versions of this story kind of make it sound like the scribe was trying to trip him up, like even more. Um, this one kind of gives him a little bit more of a gracious read, but... We get the story. A lot of people are trying to ask Jesus questions to to see if he will slip up, to see if they can like say, "Ha ha, you don't know everything," but he uh, answered them all very well to the point where they stopped asking him more questions. And uh, and so this was considered the greatest commandment because it is holistic, because it incorporates everything. Um, you know, if like he said, uh, it. See, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And that was that, that statement that he said, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, that was worship. Like that was how they worshiped. And so he is making a statement here saying uh, that to love God with holistically is the best type of worship. Um, and, uh, and so that's, I, I think that's just a very strong statement, um, to make. So he comes up and asks him, especially in Mark. Yeah, you're right. He's kind of the last one in line here to ask Jesus a question. And he, he sees Jesus just absolutely shred these, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees 
And so this scribe is a little bit more careful. And um, Jesus even says right out of the gate there that, you know, you are very close to the kingdom. So um, it never struck me before, but uh, the, the words like close to the kingdom and talking about that heart, that center, that very, um, I don't know, uh, the marrow, you could say, of, yeah. of Christianity there. Um, I, I wonder if that's, you know, how intentional that is like by the, the writer Mark. Yeah. Um, that Jesus is essentially saying, yeah, you, you got that central doctrine. Now hold that, run with that and like, keep going. Um, anyway, I never had noticed that part before. Yeah, and so, I mean, even in the, in the very least, if you look at it, you can say that he put the pieces together, that this is worship. Like, this is this is the greatest kind of worship we can get. And then Jesus affirmed that statement. And so we have Jesus' affirmation that the greatest commandment to love God holistically is the greatest act of worship. And so um, I, I think that that is uh, yeah, something to really hold on to and to really grasp because being close to the kingdom of God. I mean, the, the whole purpose of our existence is to worship. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, um, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Hmm. And I completely don't remember who said that it's someone famous. I'll probably say Calvin, but I don't think it was, uh, I don't remember who said it, but, um, yeah, I'll have to look that one up, but yeah, evangelism exists because worship doesn't because the world is not already worshiping God holistically. We have to witness to those around us. And we also have to train those around us who do believe in what proper worship is. Um, in John four, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this one. And I know we've talked about this one before as well. In John 4, we get the story of uh, Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, It's kind of a long story, and it is so full of just really rich um, theology. It's hard to just take a little bit and go. But essentially, Jesus goes to Samaria, intentionally goes to Samaria, which is a place Jews didn't go to. They avoided it. They would go two days out of their way just to avoid going to Samaria. Reason was is because when there's the exile, um, a lot of the Jews remained um, and then intermarried with the natives, and we were told that they were told not to do that. And so, by the time that the exiled people returned to Jerusalem, they shunned the people of Samaria because they were they had disobeyed and they became like they tried to worship God, like they tried to come up with their own rituals uh they, they tried to kind of syncretize the religion with those around them and and it's a it's a big part of this particular story because the woman asks about that in particular she says uh and see she says you know our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship 
Uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the worship is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And, uh, and so this is a very important passage, because what Jesus is saying is we have these rituals set in place where you have to go to this place, and that is where you worship. But soon, and even now, things are changing, where it's not where you worship, but it's how you worship. And it always was how you worship. Um, worshiping in spirit and truth, part of truth is obedience. And they were called to obey, to worship in Jerusalem, to, to offer their sacrifices as a visual sign that would ultimately lead to Jesus' death on the cross. And he was talking about that as well. Once that act happens, once there is no more need for temple worship, no one will need to go to Jerusalem because once and for all, blood will have been spilled. And at that point, what really matters, what only matters is to worship in spirit and in truth. Um, and like I've said, spirit and truth really fall into this idea of, of emotions and knowledge of feeling and devotion. It's, it, it is, it's holistic. It's broken down into even broader categories, but we still understand this is holistic. It's not just without with what we think. It's not just in what we believe. It's also in what we feel, but not just in what we feel. And, uh, and so Jesus is, is getting at that holistic nature of worship once more. So spirit and truth is getting at the same thing. This is the, the, the whole, the, the heart of worship, the, the very center, um, uh, the marrow of right. what it means to love God, um, what it means to worship God, what it means to glorify God, uh, what it means to be a worshiper of God. Right. And so it's not okay. just, it's not just something we do on the outside. It's something that comes from the inside, originates from the inside and then flows through us. Um, like you said, like it's, it's the marrow. It's, it's the, it's the innermost being. It's the bowels, if you will. Um, I just needed to come back to that one, but, uh, that's, is, it's really what it is. You know, all of these passages in, in a, it's also important to understand. I'm not just taking one passage out of context. This is what the whole scripture together is getting at. Um, you know, multiple places throughout the scripture, you can pull from old Testament from new Testament. And we're about to pull from epistles and it's saying the same thing. It's, it's about how worship is holistic and how worship stems from the inside and flows out. Um, in Romans 12. Uh, so we've covered a lot of ground in Romans already. Romans is a very thick book. And I think at every chapter, it starts with therefore. So it's like every chapter builds on the one before it. So we've talked about sin. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about grace. We've talked about um, how Jesus died for us. We've talked about all sorts of things, all going into um, to Romans 12 where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, we have a passage that is talking about worship. We have the mention of bodies as living sacrifices, not just being willing to to allow your body to be um, to be torn for God, to be killed for God, but also to live for God while you are alive, a living sacrifice. We get uh, the command not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So as you think more about God and as you learn more about his word, uh, your mind will be will think differently, not the way the world thinks, but the way that God thinks. And so as you renew your mind, um, you're, you will be able to be a living sacrifice better. It also talks about testing, that you may discern what the will of God is. Uh, this idea of discernment. Uh, also in, in John, or First John, it talks about uh, testing the spirits. I think that this is kind of what that means by testing. It's, it is um, you know, trying to discern what is true. But I think a lot of that is also done through the Holy Spirit, through us. And so we get this, we get a spiritual level, we get a mental level, we also get a physical level. We get that, that heart, soul, mind, strength, all kind of represented here as well, just in a different way. And so again, this is holistic. This is, and it also brings in obedience and it brings in, um, you know, a, not a works based, but a, but it's not passive. This is an active obedience that, that we are called to in this particular passage. Yeah. One of the things that has kind of hit me lately too, and this is bringing it out even more is how much Christianity is a whole self, a whole Mm -hmm. being. um, I hesitate to use the word religion. I know there's a lot of baggage tied up there, but only true religion. So, I mean, there you go. All right. All right. I'll use it. And it's not, one of these things christian is not one of these things and i hope you the listener are not like this but that doesn't wear christianity like a purse or mm-hmm. a backpack or something like that that kind of is a sticker on your car it's one of the panoply of things that you associate with and you use it to kind of further your own personal brand christianity is really the opposite of that mm-hmm. and it asks for the entire self, your whole self to be sacrificed, um, not in a way like a, you know, a sacrificial animal or something like that, but what exactly what Brian was saying, that this is a living sacrifice, that it's your whole self, that every part of you uh, is dedicated now and completely given over Um, to Christ and his work and glorifying him and worshiping him. It is not just a piece anymore of who you are. It's all of you. Yeah. And uh, I think we can all agree that there are people out there that 
uh, aren't devoted. Like you can just you can tell they're 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 coming. They are are there because they feel like they need to be there for or for whatever reason or they or if they go to church they might get some sort of social standing. You know, there's there's lots of different reasons to say that you're a Christian. And so uh, there are lots of people who I'm sure you can think of some that just, they're not devoted. They're not offering their whole bodies as living sacrifices. You know, they're, they're, um, you know, that's, that's where we get into like the, the, the rocky soil and thorny soil people, you know, they're, they're not fully devoted. It's just part of it, but it's not, it, it's just the t-shirt. Um, but I think more dangerously, there are groups of people that are completely and fully devoted toward one of these things. They are fully all in for an incomplete worship, uh, where they focus on, um, they focus on the heart or they focus on the soul or they focus on the mind or they focus on the strength, but they do not worship God holistically. They worship him, um, fully devoted, but they don't worship him holistically. And I wanted to, to transition at this point and talk about uh, the dangers of that. And, and um, you know, obviously, I think those who aren't devoted, I think that there's something going on there, and that's that's a different conversation. But this fully devoted to an incomplete worship, I, I, I wanted to really go through these these four different categories of. Um, these four categories that, that I kind of came up with, and these are, these are mine. I, they're not, this isn't something that I just completely made up on my own, but I'm, I'm, I created these categories out of just kind of pulling from different resources. So I did want to say, these are mine. They're not from the scripture. Um, and I'm going to be using some words that have meant multiple different things. And so I'm going to be very careful to define what I mean, uh, when I say these, um, but first, uh, I want to talk about um, the antinomian view of worship. Uh, antinomian means anti-law, which is this idea that uh, because the law has been fulfilled, I no longer need to worry about it. Like I can just do my own thing. I've got my fire insurance and Jesus is going to forgive me anyway. Um, and so you get people that... Um, yeah, and there's there's been plenty of people that have kind of come out as antinomian, but you know, even Paul says, you know, should we uh, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. I mean, Paul was very anti antinomian, even. So, um, just in short, this is the view that God's love for us is of utmost importance. Uh, the idea that we should primarily focus on what God has done for me in valuing declared love over true obedience. Uh, those are, that's my definition of the antinomian view of worship. Um, there are lots of songs out there that lean this way. I'm not calling these songs antinomian, but I'm saying that they have the seeds of antinomianism in them. These are songs that focus very heavily on the love of, of God. You know, Jesus loves me, um, especially like as an individual. Um, that's very, very popular. 
but without ever saying why or what his love is or what has he actually done to me? How has he, how has he shown me his love? And ultimately it's, uh, you know, God loves me and he has shown me his love by dying for me, for my sin and rescuing me from my sin. Um, despite the fact that I was undeserving. I mean, these are major, major issues that are just being ignored by these particular songs. And, um, and I really feel that that can breed antinomianism. If you follow these particular songs, if you only listen to these particular songs, then, um, the antinomian view of worship can slip right in. Uh, if you aren't, if you're, if you're not trying to pursue obedience, if you're not trying to uh, pursue repentance, if you're not trying to understand why uh, God did what he did, um, then they can, you can really slip into this antinomian view pretty easily. So while you were talking about that, I happened to Google worship songs about love and it brings up on Google anyway a uh, helpful uh, category up here. They've already categorized this for us. In the category of songs is a category called worship. Under worship, there's an actual category that they've labeled romance. So these are uh, worship romance songs, I guess, according to Google. And okay. I mean, you've heard yeah. them before. I mean, we've Jesus talked about boyfriend. these. Reckless love. Mm-hmm. Your love awakens me. How deep the father's love for us. Well, that's a pretty good, that's one. a pretty good one, but <laughs> um, love's so great. Uh, your love, your love never fails. You save my soul. Love on the line. Jesus loves me. King of love. I love you, Lord. Jesus. We love you. Unending love. Your love. Oh Lord. Um, and, and it just goes on and on. And, um, you know, I'll, and, yeah, don't get me wrong. Love is important. Yeah, and, it is. And, uh, and, and to sing about Jesus love is, is important. We shouldn't abandon the idea of singing about Jesus love. Right. And, and there's a reason why so many songs do that. However, to, uh, to value our declared love. I love you because you love me, but without ever tying that to true obedience right. um, is, is dangerous. And not that mm-hmm. every song has to talk about true obedience, but mm-hmm. um, to only, if you fill your worship service with only songs about how much we love God or how much God loves me, it's going to fall short and it's not going to tell the whole message. Um, and an antinomian view can slip right in and be, be perfectly fine. Yeah. And you wouldn't notice. Yeah. Hey, worship leaders, Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Praise uh, Charts has you covered with top forty worshipful yes. songs about love about for Valentine's romance. Day. Yes, absolutely. And, and beware. <laughs> I mean, just choose carefully. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, with that, I want to transition. This is a little bit different. It's uh, the charismatic view of worship, and. And I'm not going to get into the gifts in order to say like, what is truly charismatic? We're, Some we're people say about gifs. Gifs. No, there's a, there's, <laughs> a, there's a T. It's tiffs. No. Um, the, the, the gift 
of the Holy Spirit uh, that he bestowed onto the apostles and how we can have those gifts. That is kind of what is like the defining term of like what is charismatic. I'm not talking about that in this particular uh, use of the word, the charismatic view of worship. What I mean okay. is um, the view that feelings are of utmost importance. The idea that we should primary fo- primarily focus on achieving a closeness to God, valuing hmm. personal experience over actual spiritual growth. This is uh, very closely tied to the charismatic view of gifts in that like the closeness to God, like if we are close to God, then he will give us these gifts like that. Those kind of go hand in hand. But, um, but these particular, this particular view, I just want to talk about that. And it's, it's emotions and feelings other than like a devoted love. Uh, antinomianism, I was getting into like how God loves us, not romantically, but as he, how he loves us and died for us and what he did for us versus, um, how we respond in obedience where the charismatic view is the feelings like that would be like the romantic love that would be uh, other types of feeling like fear is very strong in this particular uh, category and um, and like the feeling of um, you know sadness or despair or brokenness like these are these are the, the buzzwords that I, I feel that fall into the charismatic view of worship where we, uh, I, I don't feel close to God. Therefore I don't feel like I'm a Christian today and I feel like I need him more. I need to be with him more. Um, you know, these almost romantic sounding types of songs. And so it's, it is different than the antinomian view. Um, but it is also not a biblical, uh, way to worship God. We, we don't need, we, we don't need to feel close to God. God is with us at all times. So is this the, but my feelings camp? Yes. This is the, the, okay. the my feelings, solo feels camp. Um, solo feels. Solo feels. Um, it's this idea of, um, you know, I, I don't feel close to you. And so please, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. You know, Holy Spirit is there. Right. But it's, uh, I mean, fog machines would probably be yeah. very much used in a solo feels yeah. uh, or charismatic camp. Right. Uh, okay. I okay. like, I like the Babylon B where it says that the, the, the third part of the Trinity eagerly awaits in the foyer of the church to be beckoned in. <laughs> um, okay. I'll have to find that one. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a pretty good one, which that song, by the way, it, it was popularized by Francesca Battistelli, but it was written by Jesus culture which comes out of Bethel church. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, which is an incredibly charismatic church, uh, both in the senses of the feelings and in the gifts. Um, and so that's, that's what I mean by, by the charismatic view. Um, I'm going to go on to the, well, well, hold on before you do that. I just wanted to point out that, um, you know, jokes aside, this is actually a very popular mm-hmm. thing in this day and age. And I'm not talking about in the church necessarily, although I, I think it's probably making inroads. But you just see this in the culture generally. Yeah. What is prized above any other thing is your feelings about it. The yeah. facts 
do not matter anymore. Right. And it's more people's feelings and how they feel about a particular subject, about themselves even, um, and about their identity uh, largely, that is kind of like what matters. And so uh, we got to be careful too um, when we're talking about this kind of stuff in church and when we're talking about uh, feelings in church, uh, we, we got to be careful that the songs we sing and the uh, things we do don't kind of hand over to that particular, you know, we don't want to fall off the wagon on yeah, we, any of we these don't validate particular that views. Of, right. The, I, I feel, therefore talk, I am. Right. We, we, we talked about feelings being important and we talked about spirit and truth incorporating that, but it's not all there is. And, um, I, I guess that's another piece to uh, Christianity that yeah. we've seen through these uh, Bible passages, Mark 12, Deuteronomy 6, John 4, Romans 12, is this consistent view that, no, 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 it's more than your feelings mm -hmm. that uh, God is after. He's after the whole self, and um, that, that includes so much more than just, than just your uh, solo feels. So you're saying that it's it's more than a feeling. <laughs> so I did Google worship songs about feelings, and lo and behold, there's also a category under songs slash worship for feelings as well. Nice. And this one's a lot shorter. Yeah. But um, anyway, I find that fascinating. Yeah, just kind of piggybacking what you had said, you know, in, in you know, I'd say even starting like in 2017, I remember we said made 2017 jokes and then that became 2018 jokes and then 2019 jokes. And now they're 2020 jokes. But if I feel like I'm a woman, therefore I am a woman mm. is, is kind of the, the way that it works nowadays. I feel therefore I am. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need in the church to bring that in and say, you know, I feel close to God. Therefore I am close to God. That is incredibly right. dangerous because just because I feel like I'm close to God does not mean that I am close to God. I can be having an emotional experience. And this is what the, the, the rocky soil Christian is described as in the, in the parable of the four soils is someone who's had an emotional experience and feels like they are close to God feels like they are having actual spiritual growth. But then when the sun comes out, they have no root and they die away. Um, and so also there are plenty of Psalms where David does not feel close to God, mm -hmm. where he feels very far away from God. I'd mm -hmm. say Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, he did not feel close to God at all. He felt forsaken by God. But the truth was, God was with him because he promised mm -hmm. to never leave or forsake David because David was one of his. And, uh, and so feelings are the least trustworthy uh, aspect of, of, um, of our holistic self. Uh, they are easily manipulated. And uh, they're not a good judge of what is true. And so that is something um, that is something to really keep in mind as well. Yeah. And Psalm 10 we... is enough. Oh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, add on to it. Yeah. Psalm 10. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? 
this is what the psalmist is asking. And um, it's not all about that feeling because he he, uh, gets around to the point, hey, you know what? Um, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Later on, he goes on and talks about, the psalmist talks about the... um, the aspect uh, or the perspective of the evildoer of the person who's prideful believes that they can do everything. Uh, but then he does in verse 12, turn back to God and says, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. And so he doesn't let the feeling kind of overwhelm his worship of, of God or his calling out to God. Um, but is instead resting in what God has said uh, of who God is in God's person. He knows that God will um, is on the side of the afflicted, and he uh, so he says, "God, remember, you know why? You know the wicked are the ones renouncing you, yeah. And we know that you're against that. And so he says, "Arise, O Lord, O God, and lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted." Um, and he closes with, you know, just the, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Oh, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do just and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Um, and it's again, it's not situating God's actions within my feelings. Right. Uh, instead, it is seeking out God and knowledge of God and God's person um, and who God is, God's characteristics, in order to reflect back on uh, the circumstances that the psalmist is in. So I, I, I don't know. I, so I like that you took it to the Psalms there mm-hmm. because um, absolutely, I think that helps us guard against well, really any of these four views, right? Um, these four false views of of worship, but um, just yeah. Yeah, and so uh, so the next one is the the legalistic view of worship, and uh, my my definition for that is the view that action is of utmost importance. Mm-hmm. The idea that we should primarily focus on our work for God, valuing the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. And this one is, I mean, it's by nature the opposite of the antinomian view of worship. Um, the antinomian view would be that the law doesn't matter at all. The legalistic view is that the law is of the utmost importance or the letter of the law, especially. Um, and I want to get into a very, uh, I just want to share, this is my, my belief on, on the matter, um, that the letter of the law is always written to support the spirit of the law and the spirit of the law is what is important. Um, for example, I, I really don't think that God cares if you boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. I, I don't think that that is something that God really, really cared too much about. Um, I do think that God was very concerned with his people participating in pagan fertility rituals of the people around them. And so that was a pagan fertility ritual of the people around them. And God didn't want them doing that. I really don't think that God cared if they trimmed the edges of their beards. Like, I, I don't think that was something that was that God just didn't like that look. I I don't think that was the point of it. The point of it was he didn't want them to 
dress like the priests of the the cult temples and things like that. He wanted them to be set apart. He wanted them to look different. He wanted them to dress different. He wanted them to act different from the people around them. Similarly, in the New Testament, I don't really feel like Paul cared if the women braided their hair and wore pearls. I think that that was probably due to uh, the way that women dressed when they were cult prostitutes and he wanted the women to look very different and wanted them to not stand out. Um, and I think that there are spirits to all of that, that are completely applicable. I don't think that women should be in church wearing, um, you know, wearing things that are, uh, that are inappropriate. That was, uh, that was where my brain was going to say, but that does not explain anything. Uh, I don't think women should wear tights as pants in church. That's my perspective. I don't think that women should wear short skirts. I don't think they should wear things that leave nothing to the imagination. Uh, I, I think that that is distracting. I, I think that people in general shouldn't wear bright orange volunteers t-shirts to church. It's distracting. I think that's the point. I think the point is don't don't wear something that is distracting, especially in a way that would distract um, in a sexual manner. And uh, I think that was the point of what Paul said. And um, so my wife has worn her hair braided and pearls to church before, and she did not stand out, and she did not distract others. And I think that was perfectly fine. I think that followed the spirit of the law, even though it technically broke the letter of the law. And so that's uh, that's one thing I wanted I wanted to point out uh, as far as the legalistic view. The legalistic view would say, no, you wore your hair braided, you wore pearls, that was wrong. And it focuses so much on that that it misses the point altogether. And this is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were all about, uh, let's follow the letter of the law so much that we completely miss the spirit of it. And we, uh, we make the law and our public obedience to the law an idol, and we completely miss the whole point. So what good is the letter of the law? As I said, the letter of the law is there to support the spirit of the law. If the letter is the trellis, the spirit is the vine. Um, without the letter of the law, we can't know the spirit of the law, but without the understanding that the spirit is what is important, then we can, uh, we can have a very well manicured trellis that can't bear any weight because we're just spending too much time trying to manicure the trellis. Um, and uh, the point of the, I mean, there's, there's plenty of points to the letter as well to show us that we need God, to show us that we can't obey the law. Um, but if we don't take time to, if, we, if all we do is memorize the letter and not take mm-hmm. it to heart and not, um, and not become devoted to actual obedience and spiritual growth, then we're not going to understand what the spirit of the law is. And I think that was even part of its design. Um, you know, the, the Pharisees were designed to miss it because it was their, uh, they were going to crucify Jesus. If all of the Pharisees heard the words that Jesus said and converted, then Jesus wouldn't have been killed. 
and mm-hmm. we wouldn't be forgiven of our sins because Jesus wouldn't have been killed. And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot to that. And even the, we mentioned in passing that the parable of the tenants where Jesus talked about the, the, were many of Jesus' parables that he talked about the it, it described the Pharisees as not understanding what he was saying, but in that particular one, the Pharisees were the people who killed the prophets. They killed, um, you know, they, they they beat up some of the prophets. They killed some of the prophets, and eventually would would kill the son of the owner. And they said to themselves, "I think he's talking about us," and that scared mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. And so they went away. Um, and that's, that's exactly it. The spirit of the law almost are the, the, the letter of the law and their complete devotion to the letter of the law blinded them of the spirit of the law, um, to a point that was designed for the, so that Jesus could die, but in a very sad and tragic way because they wanted to do the law, but they wanted it for the wrong reasons and their, their hearts were still black and they were whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers and all sorts of other names, but, uh, the legalistic view can lead it, it, We can still follow down that way. We can, we can focus so much on doing the right things and getting things done correctly and looking and making sure that people know that we are doing the right things. Uh, and that could become our idol and, uh, and that can become, uh, you know, that can keep us from actually following the law and uh, growing spiritually. So while you were talking, I did Google worship mm-hmm. songs about action. And would you guess there is a category for songs, worship slash action. I promise I didn't but plan this. Looking, looking at these, I, I feel like they're more like kind of like the kid action kind uh, of idea. Yeah. Like, you know, one of these raise your hands, jump up and, you know, do weird actions to the songs kind of thing. Gotcha. So so I also Googled worship songs about law. And would you believe there's a category? There's not a category. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you, you want to know why? According to Google. (laughs) You want to know because no one wants to sing about the law. (laughs) Well, I mean, um, the good people at songselect.cs at, uh, at uh, CCLI, yeah, they've put together 108 songs with the theme commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's fine. But they're not Google, you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, yeah, that's close. It's CCLI. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, so this idea of the, the legalistic view of worship, um. I, I kind of wanted to to go on about um, another word that I almost use, but is a little less understood. Uh, would be the like the Pelagian view of worship. Okay. Um, and so the uh, Pelagius taught that uh, we didn't need God. Like right. God was there. God was there to be a crutch in case that we were in case we mm-hmm. wanted him to help no us. original sin, but we had no, no original sin, uh, that, that we were completely fine to, 
to achieve perfection on our own. God was there. God sent Jesus to die for us so that if we need that crutch, we can use it. But we were, we were really a lesser Christian if you, if you need to use that crutch. So it'd be better if you didn't. Um, I mean, it was, it was all sorts of, it was, it was just a really bad breed of, of heresy, but there is a, uh, kind of a leaning called the uh, semi-Pelagian, which is a very, uh, it's, it's like right on the edge of heresy. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say it falls really under heterodoxy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, uh, there's a lot of songs that I think fall under, under like a a semi-Pelagian, um, heading at least like, kind of like with the antinomian you know if you have all songs are just about love then you can slip in an antinomian sermon and no one's going to really notice there's some songs that if you sing them uh, and exclusively uh when you Mm -hmm. get to uh, if you were to slip a semi-pelagian sermon in there uh you wouldn't really notice i'd say that one of like the big semi-pelagian preachers that's like it gets called out a lot would be Stephen Furtick uh, from Elevation Church. And they have their own mm. they have their own worship team that writes their own music and gets played on the radio and stuff. And I'd say that their music isn't it's not awful. It's there's some of them that I think are just badly written um, from an excellence standpoint. Um, like why would you sing a song that declares that that your name your name is victory without actually ever saying Jesus. Like there's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think if you're going to talk about the importance of his name, you'd at least use it once, but that's, <laughs> that's just a bad, badly written song. Um, but, uh, I'd say another singer that really falls into this category is Matthew West. Um, mm. a lot of his songs, uh, are just about doing something, including his song titled do something. <laughs> um, i mean that one too that yeah. one that one as well um and uh, there's a song that he sang on that i kind of want to go over line by line next week um where he was featured on a casting crown song and the casting crowns portion of the song i think is pretty good and then you get to the matthew west part and it's like really Anyway, but um, we'll we'll talk about that next time. But yeah, so this idea of you know our works are so important. Um, a lot of these like manipulate you, like they, they kind of try to manipulate you into doing uh, mm. into into an action as opposed to mm. convict conviction of sin and mm. the call to repentance. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to remember, like there's this one that he has. It's uh, the beautiful things we we love, or something like that. But it's it's a uh, it's all about like if you don't pay attention to the to the little things that are around you, the beautiful things that are around you, then you're gonna lose them. And it's not really a Christian song, but it's a uh, it gets to the end, and he he as he's singing the song throughout the song he says the beautiful things we love or some of the or the beautiful things we miss in the end he, he switches it to i the beautiful things but i i love and it's like oh yeah oh right there in the heart 
Um, but it's, it's total manipulation. I mean, it's, mm. it's, a mm-hmm. he, he did it well. He, he manipulated it really well. It makes you feel really guilty. <laughs> and then if you feel guilty, then you should then act. But guilt is a tool of the devil. And I'm not calling Matthew West the devil. I'm just saying that he, he needs to be careful when he tries to like guilt someone into something. Anyone should try to be careful when they try to guilt people into stuff. But because guilt is an enemy of the devil, conviction is enemy is a is a tool of the Holy Spirit. So well, he does have an album called All In. Doesn't that count? <laughs> I mean, sure. Um. So yeah, and uh, and so that those are just some some things about about legalistic and even mm-hmm. uh, and, and it just it can really it's a slippery slope um, to getting into heterodoxy doing that in uh, all of these all of these are but he's one that just anytime I hear him on the radio I'm like man I really I have no idea what he believes because mm-hmm. it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't seem orthodox based on the way that he he writes but mm-hmm. uh, I want to get into this final this final category and this is the one that most of our listeners are probably find themselves in the reformed camp and this is the one that hits home for us. And that is the, the Gnostic view of worship. Um, Are you calling me a Gnostic? I'm not calling you a Gnostic. Uh, I'm not calling anyone a Gnostic. And I'm also not going to use the word Gnostic exactly the way that you probably think of it as. Uh, the Gnostics were a group of people uh, early in church history that believed that you had to have a secret knowledge to actually be saved. If you could attain this particular knowledge, this particular fact, if you could hold on to it, then that's how you were saved. And that ultimately is a works-based salvation. It's not true and is uh, condemned um, as as heresy. Um, in a very similar way, though, I think that the Reformed camp kind of gets on that high horse. We, we say, I understand the Bible better than you uh, because Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus chose me. I didn't, I didn't do this work on my own. You know, I was, you know, this, that, the other. And, and we can, we can really say, we can get on that high horse and say, those Arminians, they're wrong, but I'm right. I'm over in the Calvinist camp and Arminians can do the same thing. But um, Calvinists really, really focus on mind and on intellect, mm-hmm. um, every reformed church I've been to has been very, uh, has had a very deep understanding of scripture. Like they focus on really wanting to know the scripture, but if you focus solely on the no, then, uh, then you can really miss out. And, and I'm going to give this definition, um, the view that knowledge is of utmost importance the idea that we should primarily focus on learning and understanding God and valuing knowing about God over knowing God. And, um, and so that, yeah, this, I don't know any songs that really focus on this because songs are so much tied to the emotions, um, music and emotions really go hand in hand. And so I think, the the real like if you really go the Gnostic view of worship you are going to go full Zwingli where you are probably going to um, only do if you're going to do any songs at all they're going to be the ones that are really really filled with doctrine like uh, you may only do Gettys or something like that which would be that'd be really heavy and I I tend to want to lean that way um, just throwing that out there but 
I, I can definitely see that if you have a, a full set list of all Gettys or old hymns that are really rich, deep old hymns, and that's it, you're going to overwhelm your, your congregation pretty quick. Um, and, uh, but if it's true, mm-hmm. won't they get used to it? Maybe, but um, I, I think that that's where we need to really remember that spirit's also important. Um, every song doesn't need to tell the full story. The whole Every week you need to hear the whole story. But I think having some songs that are more simple, that can help you really reflect on a deep truth, on a single deep truth, those are important to intermix. Um, but also this idea of like fully full knowledge. Um, like if you really go down the rabbit hole, you're going to come out with music. That's just technical. Uh, and, and you're going to get music that it's, it's not good going to just be like the lyrics are going to be the, the, the most focused upon element. And then the music is just going to be, yeah, very basic there's not a lot of songs that really fit that particular thing. Even, I mean, in Christ alone has a beautiful melody, a beautiful Mm -hmm. arrangement. And so it, it, I would say has a good striking balance between spirit and truth because of that. And the poetry is also very good. So I'm talking about like, if you take the Westminster confession of faith and set it to music, that's going to be like what I'm talking about as far as the Gnostic view of, of worship, it would it would be you're going to be looking at really dry, really boring music that is going to be very hard to get through. But um, it, this this music doesn't exist. Um, I also think that the church has really, in general, not striven after knowledge. I think that they, in general, have gone after um, the the mind and the soul and the heart much more heavily than they've gone after or the sort of the might and the soul and the heart much more than they've gone after the mind. And, um, which I think as part of the reformed camp is very sad, but we don't need a pendulum swing and completely chase after the Gnostic view of worship in our, uh, in our attempt to battle the others. Uh, I think that what is best is to really strive after a fully holistic view of worship. Uh, to worship him, not just with our mind, but also with our emotions and also with our devotion and also with our actions. Uh, We need to fight both legalism and antinomianism and walk that razor line that's in between them. We need to, um, we need to embrace our feelings and, uh, and guard them at the same time. Um, but without, uh, being swayed by them. We need to be in control of our emotions and not let our emotions control us, but we need to get our emotions involved. And I think that we in the reform camp are afraid of our emotions, which is funny because fear is an emotion, but, um, that is, that is where we can air the most, I think. Hmm. So do you think, well, okay. I have so many questions, man. Yeah. But what about songs where that are set to scripture should we just like not do those no i think those are i think those are fine uh there's definitely a place for them as well would they be too too 
too much? Like, would you ever do a full set of songs completely based on scripture? Um, I, I'm not going to say no, I wouldn't do that. Um, but we're also probably not talking about taking an entire chunk of Romans and setting it to music. We'd probably be like one verse. Um, I, I don't think it would be entirely helpful to just take one verse and, and offer that as an offering of praise either. It, it would depend on the verse for sure. Um, but the worship set is not first and foremost for us to meditate on scripture. Uh, it is the, the worship set is designed for us to reflect on the scripture to off, to respond in, in worship. Uh, right. Is, the very, the song should lead us into that particular part of worship. Right. Right. I mean, and so there, we've talked about that before. Um, but like I, if I went to a worship service and always sang were the Psalms, I, I would be completely down with that. Um, if the music was just really distracting and bad and, and hard to follow because of the structure of the Psalm that we're singing, that could be distracting, but it wouldn't be the words that were distracting. It'd be the music. And so um, I'd say that this full Gnostic view of worship would also imply that the music is is being neglected, um, but if you take uh, if you take a passage of scripture that is very uh, filled with with words of praise, like um, you know, like the last two verses of Jude, or some mm -hmm. of the doxologies in, in Ephesians and in Romans, and set those mm -hmm. to music, that would be that would be beautiful if if the music was was not distracting and mm -hmm. if in doing a full set of that would be, would be very good. But that's also, we're not, we're not talking about taking a very dense portion of, of Romans and, and setting it to music. I don't, I don't know that that would necessarily be appropriate. Well, right. That would, that seems like it would be better suited to the sermon. Yeah. Um, to exposit and, um, understand that way. Yeah. Uh, but I guess where I'm, missing the boat here is mm -hmm. Gnosticism was that secret knowledge, right. like you're saying. Like we have this uh secret knowledge and only the people who are in the club get the secret knowledge. Yeah. So I am I guess I'm having trouble figuring out like what kind of a song would be like like that. Because we yeah. can't just get there by saying these songs are um say knowledge heavy or whatever yeah like they contain if it's true it's true and they're being sung in public i mean it's not like this is secret and yeah. so and where where do we get from kind of just general deep knowledge to gnosticism yeah and that's why i said i'm, I'm not using the word exactly how it was um you know uh gnostic i think just at its core just means to know uh, and it was like to like if you're agnostic, it means that you don't know. Um, and so if you are gnostic, it means that you do know. Um, and so I'd say that the the deep knowledge would uh, I'd say deep knowledge more than just like a special or hidden knowledge in this particular use of the word. Um, but like in reform theology, 
the idea that um, I don't have free will, that I was predestined, that I was uh, I was chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be adopted mm-hmm. as a son. You know, that's that's plain. It's in Ephesians one. It's there, um, and a lot of the Arminians, uh, even I'd say, in the charismatic church um, or in you know the semi-Pelagian church, like those particular beliefs, like they, they, I would say they have their own secret knowledge as well, but they don't focus and follow on like the spirit of the law very well. You know, they, they focus on if anything, you know, the, the letter and what it, what it means to them or, or how they feel about it or how it, it is interpreted to them and uh and i feel like we should focus on scripture and we should try to understand what it means that's good that is a very good thing but we don't need to do it so much so that we don't actually delight in the law and glorify god and enjoy him forever um mm-hmm. that could be a again very slippery slope so mm-hmm. i i'm not saying that all calvinists are gnostics or even by my definition of the word Gnostic, but that's, that's where we could err. And, um, and I feel like we, if, especially those in the Calvinist camp that are afraid of their emotions, that are afraid of feeling and And as much as I like him, I would, I would put John MacArthur in this particular category. Um, he, he's, you know, his whole stance on dancing and you should never dance at another Babylon B if he accidentally stepped onto a dance dance revolution game and did nothing <laughs> and got a perfect score of zero. Um, that's, that's, that's a good one. But, um, you know, I think it's okay to emote. I think it's okay to really, uh, to really feel your emotions on a particular subject. And, uh, and I think it's important. And I think that we can often in the reform camp forget to do that or be afraid to do that. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of what I wanted to say about the Gnostic view is we just need to be careful. We need, we need to make sure that we're not giving too much credence to the law, that we're also not ignoring the law. We need to embrace our emotions, but not be, uh, but not be overrun by our emotions. We need to seek to know the, the will of the Lord, to know, the the content of scripture but we also need to do that in a way that we we need to read the the bible in a way to get to know god better not just to um not just to puff up our own brains yeah no i agree with that i mean absolutely we should uh, not be going to church we, we shouldn't be uh, our worship should not be that that's man centered worship. Right. I mean, right. That's, and, um, and I also want to be clear about something else that might shed some light on this. The Gnostic view of worship is not just, is not just applied to music. Worship mm-hmm. is much more involved than just the songs that we sing. So there may not be a lot of songs out there that would fall into this. But there are other worship practices that do. And, uh, I think next time we're going to talk more about singing and kind of how that applies to to what we've talked about today, but um, you know, there are other Gnostic practices 
that um, other than singing that, that we could really that we could fall into uh, the way we pray I'd say would be another one you know if we try to use big deep theological words in our prayers that go over other people's heads I've seen that mm-hmm. I've seen that before um, mm-hmm. and even in the way that the sermon is presented if it's done in a way that um, you have to have a deep knowledge to understand what he's saying that would be where the secret knowledge would come in uh, if you you have to know all of the terms and all of the the background and you have to understand all of the minute parts of the Hebrew and Greek in order to to fully understand what is going on and I'd say like federal vision and stuff like that falls into this particular category like you have to understand so much nuance to even comprehend what federal vision is mm-hmm. um, like I don't think I could explain it very well. And if you're listening to this and don't know what federal vision is, it's okay because I don't either. I just know there's something called federal vision and that Douglas Wilson (laughs) may or may not have anything to do with it. Who knows? That's the secret knowledge. Um, And and I'd say that those those camps would fall into probably the Gnostic view because we don't know what they're talking about. You have to have this idea and this deep understanding of you know, whatever in order to, to get that. I'd say another one would probably be, um, new perspectives on Paul, uh, NT Wright. We were kind of talking about that. And, uh, earlier, um, yeah, before, the, before we the recorded pre-pre-show. in the pre pre show. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that's another thing. I don't think I could explain what the new perspectives of Paul is. I just know that it's a thing. And I know that it's in order to really grasp it, you have to, you know, have this kind of deeper knowledge of what it is. And so those, both of those would be considered reformed in the reformed camp, or at least the little are reformed uh, N.T. Wright, Douglas Wilson, and some others that no one really knows what's going on around them because you have to be on the inside to, to really grasp it. Unless you're David McCookie. I think he knows all. <laughs> so you while you were talking, I did Google worship songs about knowledge and you may be surprised to know that there is no category that google (laughs) recognizes for those however they do have a few videos um there's uh some god beams coming out of some clouds um against some some palm trees on what looks to be an idyllic uh hawaiian kind of uh uh scene here for chris thomas i will rise the wisdom of god okay uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, Perfect Wisdom of Our God. And then Wisdom Song, Laura Woodley Osman. I don't know who that is, but apparently those are the top three videos, according to Google. Okay. Um, for worship songs about knowledge. But I, you know, I don't know what they're, that they're means. They're probably, it's probably not a good litmus test, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps it's even more interesting are uh, when you say worship songs about federal vision, no surprise. <laughs> also not a Google song category. I wouldn't. However, uh, our, our, our friend, R. Scott Clark and the Heidelblog, um, if you don't listen to his uh, podcast, he's been having several on the federal vision here lately. Um, but he, he has a few things um, which I have not read, but, um, this is a very long article that I might. Um, 
so I'm not sure what that's all about, but it has David Crowder, how he loves an official music video. And then, um, apparently, um, uh, yeah. Um, so David Crowder how talks he... about shine, Jesus, shine. <laughs> so yeah. So David Crowder, how he loves is the unforeseen kiss. It's the G rated, um, version oh, of the song. Okay. Rather um, than sloppy, the wet. sloppy wet kiss. That was the original mm. lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, shine, Jesus, shine. Um, that one is the one where it, if you follow the pattern of the verses or the, I guess of the chorus, then the Holy Trinity is Jesus spirit river. <laughs> Never noticed that before. Yeah. I, yeah. Flow river flow flood yeah. our nations with, with grace yeah. and mercy. Yeah. Great to mercy, man. I used to love that song. Seriously. Yeah, it was, it was great, but I never really, you know, that was back in the day and I never considered the words to yeah. the song. Um, it's it's but not anyway, like we it's talked not about the, that a long time ago. It's not like the epitome of the worst song ever. So I mean, it's it's fine. It's just it's <laughs> funny if if you if you are going to follow the logical flow of the song, uh, it's not a logical argument song. But if you were to follow it, then it would be that the Holy Trinity is <laughs> Jesus Spirit River. But that's free. Well, so you what you're saying is it's not a Gnostic. It's not a Gnostic. Song. No, it's not a okay. pursuit of of knowledge. Not one of those. Song. Not one of those pursuit of knowledge songs. Got it. Okay. Yeah, right. and and again, I would I would put that into the category of not the best written. It's not that it contains bad theology or whatever. It's just it could have been better written. Um, <sighs> there's a lot of most songs could be better written. Yeah. Most of that's m- true. Most of my songs could be better written. Uh, so I'm not proclaiming to be an expert on the best written song ever but yeah every i mean that's why a lot of songs are have co-writers you get more people looking at it you're going to get a little bit better of of an end product is one person might see things a little differently than another but i still don't understand how like songs make it through with like grammatical errors like that that still baffles me but um yeah that's also free. So those are the, the four categories. Um, the antinomian charismatic, the legalistic and the Gnostic. And those are, it's not a, an exhaustive list. I just kind of thought of what would it look like if you really followed hard after one and none of the others. And that was kind of where that, where that led me into as far as like an actual definable thing. Um, and, Really, if you take any of that, and the the point of this exercise is, if you follow one or two and not the holistic, if you don't follow God holistically, you're going to end up in into probably a borderline heretical, definitely idolatrous mode of worship, and uh, and that's why God calls us to follow Him holistically, is because the only way that we can truly worship God is to is to worship him holistically with with all of our with with all of everything our heart our soul our mind our strength um other than that we're we're not giving him our all we aren't we aren't completely dedicated to him and uh yeah and do, do you have anything else that you wanted to add um no you know honestly i uh, i think uh I'll, I'll link to the Heidel blog article. Um, the rest of the stuff is just, you know, 
just me being silly, but um, uh, you might find something there. But I, I, I gotta say, mm, the Gnostic. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm resisting this, but uh, I, I'm not quite on board there yet. But I think it's, I think my hangup is more on the term Gnostic than and it being it seems like you want to make it more of this broad term and for me it's very specific um according to this cultic um early early cultic uh practice and 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 religious belief um false religion uh that cropped up very quickly after the church sprang up and i just i just felt like using the word gnostic uh was a little more cut and dry than saying hyper intelligent intelligentistic hyper intelligent i don't even i can't even think of what the word would be um <laughs> so so yeah that's why I'm with gnostic uh intellectualism hyper intellectualism yeah hyper intellectualism doesn't roll off the tongue as well as gnostic um but you you are right i mean and you know, there were, there's a reason why I chose it, you know, things like the thorough vision and new perspectives of Paul, which I can't even fully like they, they follow the, the logical arguments so deeply and so emphatically that you can't even really understand what it is unless like you spend hours devoted to studying what the nuances are. And, and so, mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of where I was going with, with that particular camp anyway. Um, and so it's not the same as the Gnostic view of, of the, early church history, but yeah, hyper, uh, intellectualism, you know, just really focusing heavily after the mind, I think can lead to, um, like I said, valuing knowing about God over knowing him and then you miss out, but it's also, you can worship the idea of God more than you, than you're worshiping God himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely can see that. Um, where we would worship this idea, this false idea of God. Right. Um, because, and really that's, that's creating an idol, right? I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a, a, a two CV as the kids say. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, anyway. and honestly, each one of these is creating a view of God that is incorrect. And the antinomian God, the, legalistic God, the charismatic God and the Gnostic God, you know, the, neither one, none of those are the God of the Bible and, uh, ne- ne- none of those are who we should be worshiping. They're all idols. They're all, you know, they're just, they're all two CVs. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, yeah, all that, I guess I really have to add is just to say, I worship the King all glorious above and gratefully sing his wonderful love. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. To never feel discouraged, Jesus is your
Thank you for listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback, so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.